Welcome to the Happy Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Spector, and we're here to explore the latest in positive education technology. I am here today with Mark DeMoss, and he is the creator of My Life Scene. So today on the Happy Tech Podcast, we're going to be exploring more about what My Life Scene is and the role it plays in positive education. So once again, welcome, Mark. Thanks so much, Amy. Uh, Lovely to have met you at the Positive X Summit this last week. And great to connect again. Thank you. Yeah, that was was a really exciting event and uh, wonderful way to meet new people and hear what's going on in the world of positive education. Yep. So tell me a little bit about My Life Scene. Um, My Life Scene is a, it's a learning management system and software uh, that helps students and really anyone (laughs) answer the big question of life and that's who are you? Mm -hmm. And we do it from the perspective of defining who are you by virtue of where am I exceptional? Where am I talented? And then also what drives my talent, and that is character. The two have to be coupled if I'm to find or discover that good life or that happy life uh, that we all really ultimately believe is inside of us. Right. So it's beautiful. Really the, the combination of talent and character and helping um, a young person discover what that means for them, what that looks like, and how that can drive their educational and future choices. Yeah. What led you to create My Life Scene? How did you come up with this idea? Um, that's a very long story, but it's, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have three kids uh-huh. um, who went through some very bad stuff when they were young. Mm-hmm. And I got involved in forensics and um, also, you know, in classic forensics, but then kind of re, re-engineered it to focus on positive evidence and trying to answer the question, what do I know about my kids that regardless of what's happened to them will enable them to find a life and to find the hope that they will want and to be able to find a better life. Mm-hmm. And so started looking at a lot of really hope theory um, that you know, was a therapist for a number of years and I was far more attracted to the what's right with you than the what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. So it's about uh, Martin Seligman and focused a lot on the Gallup work in education. I think they've probably done the most work in positive education in terms of research. And so did a lot of work just understanding their model as well. Mm-hmm. And started developing and integrating my, my work in classic forensics and re-engineering into positive forensics as a way to help discover what I saw as the pathway to hope. Mm-hmm. And, um, hope in terms of hope theory has two parts to it. The first is a belief in the future, that, I, that there is a pathway to the mm-hmm. future, that I can matter and I can be someone in the future, but that is only sustained. And if it is not sustained by talent, by knowing that I have the capacity to walk that pathway and to walk into that future, if that is not part of that equation, hope dies. Mm-hmm. And when hope dies, we get depressed, anxious. Um, we do a lot of crazy stuff. We go to substances. We go to experiences that are destructive. Mm-hmm. And um, no intervention 
ultimately by itself is going to change that equation until you get back to who am I, what do I bring to life, and how can I forge that that pathway future uh, forward. Mm-hmm. I think that is so relevant to um, youth today. We're really seeing this epidemic of anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation and action is on the rise and really re-engaging youth with hope and belief in themselves and their future. But then coupling that with the real tools, the real um, underpinning and understanding of who they are so that they know they can achieve that future. That that just sounds like every youth in the United States, in the world needs that right now. I mean, that's just really getting to the crux of, of what I see every day in my work with, um, with at-risk youth. This is really, really important stuff. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we're all involved in the same work. I mean, we, we work with very high-functioning students. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our board members is um, Dr. Monique Renier. She's currently... VP at the new school in New York, but she was dean of mm-hmm. students at Harvard. Mm-hmm. She was a dean of students at Princeton and at Columbia as well. She'd been at you know, three Ivy League schools. Mm-hmm. But she, she describes, she described Ivy League schools as being a cesspool of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, which for us, when we think about the Ivy League schools, that's the epitome of really saying this is the pathway, the best pathway to the future of success in life. Right. And yet they're trying to hire therapists and crisis interventionists at, a, at an extremely high rate to deal mm-hmm. with all that anxiety and also the, just the, the craziness that goes on that's never publicized because you don't want to have bad information coming out of schools. Absolutely. It, it's tragic. And yeah. it's, you know, because they only factor one thing, you know, it's the passing of a certain intellectual measure, mm-hmm. someone helping you or you writing an essay that somehow convinces a, you know, someone, or you've got a parent who went there and it gets you in there. Mm-hmm. It's so undefined in terms of, you know, who am I, why I matter. I only matter because I can dance, you know, intellectually and I can pass certain, certain subjects. And that, it's very sad. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. So it's really cutting across all levels of society. You know, it's kids who are at risk, kids who are high achieving. Um, really, all of them are at now at risk of depression, anxiety, and this suicide epidemic that we're seeing. Um, so tell me, I, I know that a lot of people have already used my life scene. Can you think of an especially inspiring example of how this has helped um, someone find their purpose and their path and really connect? Yeah. We, we've got examples from, you know, the poorest of the poor. We worked with a group called the Regeneration Project in Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, which are kids who are orphaned because their parents have died of HIV. Mm-hmm. And we saw countless examples of these kids who saw defining themselves not by virtue of their circumstance, and that is social or being orphaned or whatever, but by virtue of who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another example because it just, you know, it's some we worked with uh, pretty extensively over the last couple of years. Um, and he's from the other end of the spectrum on the extreme. And his family's allowed us to share, and he's allowed us to share his, you know, what we've done with him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 
early 20s now. Um, but his name's Charlie. He's from one of the wealthiest families in the world. Family's worth probably $15 billion. They own a major league baseball team, mm-hmm. uh, a major mutual fund company. And uh, yeah, we started working with Charlie. We had to go get him out of a, his bedroom. He was holed up in the house in, in Vermont, falling out, you know, dropping out of the University of Vermont. He had already dropped out of Southern Methodist University. was really just messed up. But we started working with him just, just you know, with my life scene, helping him understand not what he was not, not what he had been described and defined at by his therapists and psychiatrists, not defined by the substances he was, he was using, mm-hmm. by virtue of and also at the exclusion of any part of his family. Mm-hmm. Because one of the problems the wealthy have is nothing has to matter because it doesn't have to matter. It'll always be all right. Mm-hmm. And um, they also very often will reflect on, well, my grandfather, my father was so successful, I'll never match up. Mm, right. And same with the kids in the, in the regeneration project. It doesn't matter who I am and what I bring to this life is what I, what I bring. Mm-hmm. The reason I mentioned Charlie, going back to him, he was at about a 1.2 GPA when we found him. Mm. You know, strung out and everything, depressed, mm-hmm. suicidal. He just graduated from the University of Stetson down in Florida uh, with a 3.47 GPA. Wow. He is happy. He is in a relationship. You know, he's headed to San Francisco to work with the San Francisco Giants. Mm-hmm. He is in terms of statistical analysis. Um, you know, money ball in terms of baseball is what he understands so well. Right. Um, and his life is so different. Yeah. There are so many other examples, but, you know, Charlie's about to, you know, get about to come to Dallas next week. And so I'm just gone kids to San Francisco and he's going to spend a few days with me. Uh, but he's just yeah. such a prime example. Mm-hmm. You and I were talking earlier about how school districts are using my life scene to help yeah. students who've been expended, uh, suspended or expelled from school. Can you tell me some more about that? Sure. Um, I started in Seattle uh, at a very high-functioning school. We're doing it concurrently with the drug courts in Seattle in King County and Snohomish County and with the at-risk program. Um, So we were using it both and was able to test out just how it worked in both places, and it pretty much worked the same um, in the way that kids really engaged with it and the way that it changed behavior. Um, but then we also used it in, in a number of different schools in L.A. and the Pacoima School District in charter schools and then in about 40 schools in Dallas in the Richardson Independent School District. So we've used it for about eight years there. And these are kids who are actually guilty, if you want to put it that, mm-hmm. or they've been found to have repetitive issues of disrupting classrooms, they have drug issues, violence issues, other issues that then result in them being suspended from school for 40 days. Suspension requires them to go to an alternative campus called the Chris McAuliffe Learning Academy for 40 days, and they are sent there to uh, work on issues that got them there. 
So over the eight years that we've been there, we've seen, I don't know how many hundreds, maybe thousands of kids ultimately go through. And we've seen a dramatic reduction in what, in terms of recidivism, that is the frequent flyers, the kids who are back and forth and uh, the reduction has been over 60% of the kid, those frequent flyers. And then most of the kids who come to the program really reintegrate far better and vast reduction in, in terms of incidences within the, their classrooms and very positive reviews from teachers and counselors in terms of change of behaviour. The way that we do it when a kid is first sent to Krista McAuliffe is that the very first thing they do is the VIA, the Values and Action Profile. Mm-hmm. And we do that because we want to redefine this kid. The kid has been sent there because of a negative defining issue. Um, you know, it can be they're oppositional defiant, they are involved in drugs, they are highly anxious and acted out, they're involved in drugs, whatever it is. Many of them, if you get a criminal referral outside of school even, they will get sent there. Mm-hmm. So they get sent to the program, we do the VA, and we redefine them immediately. So somebody who's gone in there and they, they do the VA and they've got, they know something negative is following them and they sent to the school because of, all of a sudden they, now they become Charlie the Courageous or, mm. you know, Susie the, the lover of learning or, you know, take one of the VA definitions, the VA characteristics, signatures, mm-hmm. and they are redefined immediately. Mm-hmm. And that's how the teachers first get to know them. They get the VIA, you know, print out, give them to them in their hand. They walk it into the, the new classroom. School counselor has a, uh, a conversation about them, about why they're there. But, you know, this is who they and this is how they see them based on the VIA, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have all the teachers have gone through it. And as they walk into oh, the wow. students, teacher's classroom, the teachers have it posted outside their door. You know, I'm Mrs. Taylor, and I am creativity, lover of learning, courageous. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the others. You know, I have perspective, whatever. And they've got those five, and it begins a conversation not based on, so what did you do at your law school, which they generally don't know, but they know something bad's happened. That's why they at Christopher call it. Right. But they start talking about, so where have you been courageous? Where do you love learning? Um, where do you see beauty in this world? And all of a sudden, the, the conversations create recreated, and the the student sees himself differently because an adult sees himself as being more than whatever sent them there. Mm-hmm. And um, so they continue for 40 days going through this process of self-discovery and redefinition. And um, it's just absolutely been amazing the way that these kids have changed. Mm-hmm. It's so inspiring. It's such a, a paradigm shift. I mean, so often in education and in our criminal justice system, too, we see that somebody becomes defined by what they did in that one moment, that act of criminal action or uh, school defiance or, you know, fight that they've gotten into. And it defines them in this way. And once somebody else defines you that way, you, you sort of lock into that and you're like, yeah, I'm this, 
I am the drug dealer. I am the the person who picks fights. And they, it's so inspiring to hear that this whole system is redefining how people look at those events instead of this is who I am. It's well, this was a moment in my life, and now I better understand who I really am, so I can make different choices later in my life. And and it is huge. It's just like if one of these kids gets a criminal conviction, or they even are sent you know for a criminal referral, and they want to get a job. And we know that getting a job also so changes the trajectory of a kid's life. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of responsibility, and all of a sudden taking ownership of things. They have their own money. Uh, so you go for a job interview, and the first thing that's on there, have you ever been you know, charged with a crime? Not convicted, charged. Mm-hmm. And though a lot of those things are changing now, those things follow you. You make an application to college, same thing. You even want to go volunteer, and you're asked immediately, have you ever been charged with a crime? So it closes opportunity, and it closes a pathway to the future, because everywhere they go, they're asked about and it's ingrained in and all of a sudden there's a there's a huge wall in terms of progress and in terms of redefining so if we can change that equation very quickly and a kid now cannot just just dispute you know in terms of psychological disputation or you know disputing in terms of depression or whatever you dispute with evidence and we actually call the program life scene investigation in the schools, and um, the kids love it. I mean, especially not just kids involved in the criminal justice system, because they understand right. forensics and crime, but life scene <laughs> investigation, it's, it's amazing. You know, we've had kids just, you know, sign up for this class, in not when they have to, but in other, cl- in other schools, where they've actually had to shut down other classes because they fill up on these classes and they demand more classes. Wow. Uh, they love the whole process. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, that's a great problem to have. It is. You <laughs> it is. Know, too, too high of demand. I love yeah, it. it is. Absolutely love that. That's the direction schools need to go in is yeah. people demanding positive education and shutting it is. things down, right? Yeah, it sure is. What about um, are universities using my life scene? I'm just I'm imagining yeah. with the the rate that I think it's what forty percent of students don't complete their college degree once they start that this could be yeah. such a huge key to uh, helping engage students back in their learning and give it them is. that path they need. And that that to me again, you know, we we can talk about positive education, we can talk about interventions, but the less need we have to intervene. And the less mm-hmm. need we have for either psychological or educational intervention, because we can back it up to when these kids are in junior high or high school, and these kids can start taking ownership of their lives, making better choices in terms of subjects, and even in terms of their future, they can now start choosing not a college pathway, but a vocational pathway. They can start choosing to go to the military or become a con- into construction, or they can go into graphic design, which doesn't demand a college education. Or you can get an IBM certification in data. Or you know, we had a we had a young African American girl in in Krista McAuliffe, who she she was bright and engaging and. Yeah, you know, we started talking to her, and she had been kicked out. She was there for the third time. 
and it was just before prom a couple of years ago. And all her little friends, you know, got around and said, she doesn't want to go back to school. She wants to go to such and such beauty college. And she was being told by a school counselor, you can't do that. And yet mm. this girl had made $2,700 the previous weekend doing hair for her friends, getting ready for, to go to prom. Wow. That's as much as many, many teachers starting out <laughs> earn in a month. Exactly. You know, but she knew chemistry because you got no chemistry to be to do hair. Mm -hmm. That's what I understand. She knew how to interact. And there's so many other professions. You don't need to go in college. But then secondly, mm -hmm. if you know earlier what direction and where your talent can be applied, you can make better chance, choices in terms of major. 83% mm -hmm. of students will change majors. And uh, as many as 50% will change three times within their college experience, which then results in far greater debt. Students graduate 70% mm -hmm. with over $40,000 worth of debt. Wow. That dramatically affects lifestyle choices for at least 10 years to come. Mm -hmm. um, it increases resiliency. Because when someone has a sense of efficacy in saying, this is what I bring to the table, we're less likely to get depressed because we have, have a sense of, you know, the substance of what grit is formed out of, and that is self-belief. They make more informed choices because they say, well, you know, that's the direction I want to go in. I'll get through my general ed, and that's another issue in terms of, for me, in terms of education. They, they're repeating stuff or doing stuff they will never use because old people say you've got to learn how to think broadly. And this right. generation is not buying into it, and they are, they are fighting it. And mm -hmm. colleges, liberal arts colleges, and I love liberal arts. I went to liberal arts college. They are dying so fast, no matter how much the argument is made that you've got to do all this stuff. This generation is not buying into it. They will not, they will not continue to incur debt by doing stuff they don't want. They want to know who am I, where am I going to be exceptional, and let me hone that talent so I can make the biggest impact in this world because I know who I am, I know what I do, and I want to deliver it. Right. It's really powerful the, uh, to see the young people kind of taking back their education and really yeah. redefining and reshaping our educational system, which is in dire need of, of reshaping. That's right. Well, yeah, well, a third of student debt, a third of what you pay for, and ultimately what, what ends up as the, the greatest cause of student debt is taking classes that you never use, but because of, mm -hmm. an old person says, well, it teaches you to think. Well, if you haven't learned how mm -hmm. to think in high school, you right. want to learn to think much better when you get out of high school. <laughs> you know, it's just, sorry, I'll yeah. shut up. That's one of my... But it's more about talent. It really is. And knowing why I'm there. Well, and I love what you said, too, about um, intervention. Like, can we get past the point of needing interventions? And, mm -hmm. and I'm really seeing this as a movement towards integration. So if we yeah, can integrate yeah. these concepts into school early, we won't need to intervene. And I think schools are trying to do that. And they, they, but, but again, they're trying to say, well, what does the future, you know, what is the future we imagine that we can still in that old factory model in education, you know, drive kids into 
and kind of mm -hmm. channel them into. And right. rather than saying, help kids, you know, help young people understand their talents and then help, you know, empower them to make the choices. And if they know what their talent is, they can learn to be a lot more agile and they can learn to adapt because the amount, you know, in terms of Gallup, only 33% of our workforce are engaged. That is, they want to go to work, they like to go into work, and they feel supported. They, you know, that means another 67% are not engaged or highly disengaged. They don't like their work. Wow. That's, that's crazy. That's a staggering statistic. And that has been that has been at that measure for the last twenty years. Wow. So we are we have done nothing to improve that in two decades. Well, and then Gallup have have interviewed and done a questionnaire with over three million students the last five years, and student engagement is very high in fifth grade. It's at about 70 odd percent, but drops to about 40 percent when kids are coming, you know, in 12th grade, mm -hmm. because they they're, they're so hopeful at the beginning, and all of a sudden now they push into standardized testing, and they told you have to drum through through this narrow hoop. Everybody has to do what you're told to do in terms of math, physics, and, it, and everyone's being pushed into STEM. And there are so many more artistic kids out there and creative kids. And yet we are told that the future, the next generation is going to have to be far more artistic and creative and agile and not so stuck in terms of, you know, STEM. I mean, <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's so counterintuitive the way that we're trying to, we're trying to push people to the future. Right, right. It's based on very past past ideas to try it to is. lead us to a future that's so um, still being created and changing every day. Yeah, it is. So who else can use my life scene? I mean, you've given great examples yeah. of sort of individuals um, across the economic spectrum of mm -hmm. who, who this really is geared towards, but also it sounds like high school students, university students. Mm -hmm. Who else is this a good fit for? Well, you know, we, I have a company. I have two. One, one, it's called Talent DNA is kind of the, the umbrella. So we have the My Life scene, which is more geared towards high school and college. And then mm -hmm. I have a company called Corporate DNA. So we do, it's the identical stuff. You know, we do it in different, mm -hmm. we deliver it in different formats, you know, in terms more of uh, training days. And, you know, we use essentially the same, you know, VIA and Strength Finder and a few of the other positive psychology kind of profiling as, as part of that, just the initial. But it's all about the same conversation. Where do you experience flow? Flow is about engagement. Engagement is about talent being challenged. And that why, that's why to me, all of this goes back to the who are you. If you don't know where you are exceptional, you can't find a fit in life. Doesn't matter what you do in terms of intervention, intervention, it'll be a little bit of crack for the moment to get me through a bad situation, but I've got to be a keep, you know, keep on administering it to help you somehow survive when you know you're in a place that you're out of your depth where you don't fit. And so it all goes back to talent because we're preparing people for the future. The future mm -hmm. is about me being able to know I have a place, 
where I go to in life, where I take the best of who I am. It is challenged not just in terms of my job, but I, in terms of relationship. My best self is delivered because I can articulate it, not attract people who I'm trying to you know, find to meet the deficits in my life, but to whom I can give the best of who I am. And I can see in them the best of who they are, and I want that in them. Not, not for them to you know, meet some desperate you know, psychological or social need that I feel I'm deficient at. Mm-hmm. So we, we have trained nonprofits and you know, therapists, and we've worked in drug courts. We've worked with, I work with adults in their 50s and 60s. With, with, mm-hmm. They come out with the same things. I wish I knew mm-hmm. who I was going to be when I grow up. I mean, it's that mm-hmm. constant statement. Yeah. And it's sad. It's, yeah, it's it's really been ignored in education. Um yeah. it's not it's not been one of the core subjects. And like you said, there's been such a focus on you need to learn this and this and this and you know, it's the way it's always been, it's the way it will always be. And often uh things like this are seen as extra and fluff and oh, we don't have time for that because we've got to get these kids ready for whatever standardized test is coming mm-hmm. up. Um, but it's really, again, such a paradigm shift to say, no, this is this is key, and that students will do better in every area if they really understand who they are, what their talents are, yeah. and what role they play in their in their futures and in the future of our world and society. Where where do they fit? Where do they it's belong? Fine. Where do they thrive and shine? And it really is, you know, as we do the analysis, it's not just we look at intellect and we look at intellectual talent, but we look at social capacity. Where do I fit? And I fit primarily based on where I shine in terms of my talent. A social group is where I give the best of who I am, when I can learn about how to become better at what I love. You know, it's where I can deliver. And if it's in small groups, big groups, you know, in terms of emotional capacity, where am I most, you know, emotionally alive? What what emotional situations do I thrive in? physically the same thing you know all of those things are built into this this you know life scene investigation my life scene construct because we it is a holistic model and if you mm-hmm. don't look at it holistically and you simply say you're a mind and we got to make you to dance and jump over these hoops and then we're going to take your mind and apply it to the future that's idiocy mm-hmm. the greatest leaders are not the intellects. They may create great products, but we need great people socially and emotionally who can market them, who can lead other people. Bill Gates didn't lead Microsoft. He started it, you know, and the two founders of Microsoft never led it because they were totally socially incompetent, um, you know, and it's not that they were incompetent. They pretty much had Asperger's, and it's not about, it's not what they not, but they understood what they weren't. And so they, mm-hmm. you know, they hired CEOs who could run the company, who could build right. great teams. Bill Gates was the chief technology officer because he knew where he thrived. Right. Great example. Thank you. Um, and for, for you, how <laughs> has um, developing my life scene utilized your own strengths and talents? You know, for me, it one it gave hope to my children. And going through the situation that I had to kind of take them through. And then I, as I reared them as a single parent, 
because I was told by every psychologist, psychiatrist, social worker that my kids were headed for a very bad future. Mm-hmm. And I had to come to believe that, you know, for me, part of it was in terms of faith, personal faith. Mm-hmm. But it was also saying, what do I know inside of them that I can help them discover that is bigger than anything in their past that defines them by virtue of who they are, not by what, by virtue of what the experts say, of the circumstances that have happened to them, and, um, you know, what creates hope for the future. And so what creates hope for the future is by saying that I know, and that's what's vital. What do you know? Not what you think, not what you believe. What do you know? And so for me, it was the evidence. It's it's just like with depression or anxiety or, again, going back to the concept of disputing. You know, you mm-hmm. can dispute, well, I don't like what they said and I think that I am. You can't dispute unless you have the evidence to say, someone says to me, oh, you're useless, you're bad. A teacher says you'll never make it. What does the evidence say? You know, someone in a social context says, well, you're this or you're that. Someone's saying or teacher saying, but that's not right. You know, you know, you're worth something and you're beautiful and you're wonderful. You know what? That is hollow in the eyes, in the ears of a kid. Mm-hmm. It lasts 10 Absolutely. seconds. If mm-hmm. they don't know, if they don't have the evidence and haven't been given the process of continuing to discover evidence, mm-hmm. they will implode. Those are the kids that kill themselves because they told you're wonderful and fantastic and but they don't know anything. They don't have mm-hmm. the sense. And the world teaches them something different until they learn that who they are and what they bring to this world is something of value. And they cannot, they defined it, they can articulate it. And as they continue to grow and develop in life, they get to give it more, they continue to develop it more, and they continue to stand up with confidence that is well-founded in the evidence of fact of experience, of history, of experts who've talked into their life and helped define them, of tests that have given them broader definitions of who they are. And so it's all about the evidence, you know. And right. um, as they say in forensics, the evidence doesn't lie. Right. And the evidence builds a case that they matter and that that's their, right. their life has meaning. And that's exactly what forensics is. You know, the concept of the forum was that's where I made my case for life in ancient Rome. It was the center of the city. And in the center of the city, I could stand up and say, I am. And then I, you know, someone said, well, who the heck are you? You know, can you market my goods? Can you make an argument for me in court? Can you build this for me? And other people could challenge that evidence, stand up in your soapbox like in Hyde Park, and you debated your case for life. And if you could, you were. So, uh-huh. anyhow, <laughs> shut up. Yeah. I, I talk like a man, <laughs> man, man. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's great to see the history woven into this very uh, futuristic thinking and design you've created. You. I love it. So, uh, how can people find out more about my life scene? Um, they they can contact me. It's you know off the website mylifescene.com or corporate-dna. Um, you know, we've got lots of websites, lifescenainvestigation.com, uh, which looks at, uh, schools and colleges primarily and kind of the, 
out of school suspension programs. So lifescenainvestigation.com, corp-dna is for the corporate integration. And then my life scene is the actual class. And uh, the class, um, you know, we, we've, we've cut the fees on that a lot and they can go sign up. You get the strength finder, you get the VIA included, and then you get 64 sessions. And you don't have to be a student to take this. You've got mm-hmm. to be someone who wants to, you know, understand who the heck I am. And um, what I've seen is people go through, it's a slower process. But it's a slower process because if you think that your future and your life is as cheap as taking a 10-minute online class or 10-minute online mm-hmm. survey, if you want to redact your life to that level of cheapness, go for it. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, they're, they're, you know, they have these different websites, the Princeton College thing. In six minutes, they'll tell you the, your future. And I say absolute mm-hmm. rubbish. Right. <laughs> You know, you've got all these these talent profiles and these, you know, uh, college ones where you're even for three hours. I'm sorry, it's one-dimensional. You can't define your future by some expert taking you through three hours of testing that were delivered or were developed back in the 1950s and have simply been put online and they've integrated no further research in terms of positive psychology and in terms of human mm-hmm. happiness and talent and the strengths and everything else, predictive analytics and social media, we have ways of finding mm-hmm. out who you are more than you simply answering a bunch of questions online or on a form. We can help you discover the very best of who you are, create a mm-hmm. pathway of hope because you know who you are, you have control in your life, and you can say, I want a future, and I know there's a future because I am. That is exactly what students of all ages really need. It's I agree. Really inc- <laughs> yeah, this is an incredible program. That Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's, it's really uh, great how you're getting it out to the world, too, through so many different forums as well. It's really exciting to see the impact that it's having because of, of your efforts and really reaching out to different communities and different individuals and, and really trying to get this integrated, like we were talking about earlier, integrated into education so that students really don't have to suffer in the ways that they are currently suffering. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> yes, they really, yeah, they don't. really. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. No, it was a real pleasure. A pleasure to meet you again at the IPEN Summit and uh, look forward to talking more and uh, all the best with your podcast. I wish you all the, the greatest success, Amy. Thank you so very, very much. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, okay. Mark. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Happy Tech Podcast. Have a great day.